Welcome to the Arterburn Radio Transmission. I am your host, Tony Arterburn, broadcasting from the Wise Wolf Gold and Silver.com studios in Branson, Missouri. I'm joined today. This is a special show. Joined today by James Perloff, one of my heroes. His books have literally changed my life. I mention this all the time on my programs. He's been on the Arterburn Radio Transmission before. Uh, we've been emailing back and forth. He's been talking to my wife, Melissa, about getting him on the show today to do a complete breakdown of how we got here, about the backstory to COVID-1984, and maybe even talk about some of the trajectory of where this is all going. Welcome to the show, James. Well, uh, Tony, uh, thanks for me on. It's always a pleasure. Well, always love having you here. I want to hold up. I, I, I have a backstory, too, with your books. I usually give people a copy of Truth is a Lonely Warrior if they're right on the fence, if they're about ready to have that uh, that next step of personal growth <laughs> in the reality, I'll give them a copy of Truth is a Lonely Warrior. So I'm in between having a copy. I usually get it, and then I'll order from your site. But I do have uh, 13 pieces of the jigsaw, of course, and uh, your 1980s, uh, the shadows of power, uh, the uh, Council on Foreign Relations breakdown. Uh, and, of course, uh, you know, you've got a, a new book out that I also had a copy of, which was uh, COVID-19 red-pilled. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's just jump right in it, James. You got you sent me a couple of clips that we'll probably play uh, here in the show, but we've got a full hour. I'm going to give you the floor, sir, and probably have some questions. But uh, how did we get here? All right. Well, I hope you do have uh, some questions. It's a lot to, of history to compress into uh, one hour. But if I know that uh, from experience, if I, if I just keep talking and monologuing, eventually my, my voice will go dry and make my brain, too. So. Uh, you just oh. pop, just pop in whenever you want to, yes, and I'll, I'll probably pause at, at certain moments too. Well, um, you know, I, I thought you know doing one more show on COVID with with talk so much about COVID, the side effects of the vaccines and et cetera, and they thought let's talk about how this whole new world order and this COVID thing came about from the beginning, and you know, spiritually speaking, I, I believe trace it back to um, to um, Adam and Eve and, and the fall of man and Satan. And, you know, in the early days of earth, Satan and his fallen angels were ruling the earth. And if you read in Genesis six, it talks about the giants. And uh, these were actually transhumanized people. Um, we've seen transhumanism today. And God, of course, brought the flood on the earth in Genesis six. But if you take a look at some of the extra biblical books, such as Enoch, which is not part of the canon of scriptures, but is quoted in the scriptures, or the books of Jubilee and Jasher, which are referenced in the Bible, although they're not part of the Bible, uh, they talk about the fact that um, the fallen angels were messing with God's creation. They, create, they were creating uh, mixing species of animals, which is what we're seeing today. We're seeing this, you know, genes from mice being planted into pigs and human genes and, and, and so forth. Um, so they were transhumanized. They were destroying God's creation. They're corrupting it. And I think that this is um, important to understand as to why God brought the flood on the earth. Uh, he had to reboot the planet. And um, as far as the, the uh, transhumanism by the angels, I have a, a chapter on that in my book, 13 Pieces of the Jigsaw, which you held up earlier. It's called Making Sense of the Supernatural, but that's also for free on my website, jamesperloff.net. And as far as the reality of the flood goes, I know a lot of people think that's just an, an old myth. But actually, um, in my book, Tornado in a Junkyard, which came out in 1999, the debunking of Darwinism, um, uh, pointed out uh, in, in that book that uh, more than 200 cultures have flood legends. Even Plato spoke of the Great Flood. 
And if you look at the geologic layers of the earth, there's 75% sedimentary that is laid chiefly by water. And we have hundreds of billions of fossils in the earth. And why is that? And why aren't fossils being created today? It's because when normally when an animal dies, it just decays or it's eaten by predators. But to be fossilized uh, in complete form, you have to be covered by sediments very rapidly. And that's what happened with the Great Flood. It really did happen. Well, in any event, um, I'm going to make a controversial remark here. Uh, we know that Satan's reign pretty much um, got defeated with the arrival and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, and I'm going to make a controversial remark here. You know, Revelation 20 talks about Satan being bound for a thousand years and then He's uh, released and he deceives the nations. Now, most evangelical Christians today interpret this as a futuristic event that occurs after Jesus' second coming. Um, I take a different position. I don't insist that people uh, uh, hold on to this or accept this view. Um, but I'm going to suggest that the thousand years happened when Jesus arrived. Uh, Mark 3.27, Jesus said, No man can enter a strong man's house and spoil his goods unless he first bind the strong man. And I'm not saying that there wasn't evil in the world or that demons weren't around during those first thousand years. But um, I am going to suggest that um, uh, these thousand years um, were uh, when uh, uh, Satan was bound. And one of the things I want to point out is that Christianity uh, was in unity for the first thousand years. Essentially, uh, there was one church. Uh, one Christian church, people didn't ask what your denomination was. Now, there were some heresies and there were some some disagreements even among the hierarchs of the church. But um, basically, Christianity was one solid unified force. And then lo and behold, a thousand years passed since the resurrection of Christ. And in 1054 AD, the East and the West split into the Eastern Orthodox headquartered in Constantinople and the Vatican in Rome. And then uh, here in the West, uh, things got pretty confusing. Uh, Martin Luther uh, in the 16th century split off. He had certainly had justifiable grievances, but he set a trend of people starting their own churches. So you had Henry VIII starting um, the Church of England because the Pope wouldn't give him a divorce. And all of a sudden, everybody's starting their own denomination. And the church is split into a thousand pieces. And I, there's no question in my mind that this is um, part of Satan's plan because we know Part of Satan's plan is to divide and conquer, and certainly wanted to divide and conquer the Christian church. And um, I will uh, just mention on a personal note that I, um, I uh, embraced and became a member of Eastern Orthodoxy in 2017 because I was uh, delighted to find out that the Eastern Orthodox Church had not changed its form of worship since Constantine legalized Christianity in the fourth century. Um, it's maintained, you know, faithfulness. And Another thing that I look to, that I have a post on my, why I embrace Eastern Orthodoxy, but Satan has unleashed his greatest wrath against the Orthodox. Um, the fall of Constantinople in 1453, after which Russia became the head of the, the, the center of Eastern Orthodoxy. And then he unleashed Bolshevism on Russia. And here's an interesting fact I learned from the reading the, the book, The Lives of the Martyrs. There were more Christians martyred by the Bolsheviks between 1918 and 1926, Lenin and Trotsky, then all the centuries combined, all the martyrs of the centuries combined before that. And uh, I should mention that the Armenian genocide and the Ukrainian genocide were also against branches of orthodoxy. So this is not to deny that there's been persecution in the West. There certainly has. 
but um, I think Satan has reserved his greatest venom uh, for the uh, for the Orthodox, and um, I believe that uh, Satan has spent the last thousand years um, building his eventual kingdom to reign as um, as uh, king as a fake Christ from a throne in Jerusalem, and I think that world events. Uh, for the past uh, thousand years, this new world order that we talk about has all been leading up to that. And I want to um, go to America at this point, because America is a very important linchpin in this whole plan. You know, uh, for a long time, they didn't know about America in Europe. And then with the discovery of America, there's a lot of rejoicing amongst the Freemasons and the secret societies and the Satanists, because, you know, the old world that God had covered with the flood. And 72, that water is still around, by the way, 72% of the earth is covered with water. Um, uh, they called it Atlantis. And then Francis Bacon, who was heavily connected to the, you know, the occultist John D, uh, he wrote a book. You can look it up online. It's called The New Atlantis. It was all about America. America was to be the new Atlantis. And they looked on America as a place where they would, as a launching point for their new world order. Um, yeah, I read and, that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. And uh, now I want to stress here, being an American, there's a lot of good things that have happened in America over the past. You know, we've got the Bill of Rights. We've got a lot of freedoms in America. We've got the Second Amendment. Um, don't get me wrong. But from the Freemasonic point of view, they wanted America to become this new Atlantis. And there were a lot of Christians, for sure, who came over here. You know, I have no doubt that the Christians who landed at Plymouth were sincere people. But then Freemasons knew they couldn't settle the new world by themselves. They needed help. They needed help from Christians to settle the land. They also needed help from the monarchies of Europe to finance the expeditions. And so when they come over here, they'd plant the, the flag of uh, Portugal or the flag of Spain or Britain or France. But their plan was to eventually to drive these out. And so Spain was driven out and the French were driven out. And it's interesting, as soon as the French and Indian War concluded in 1763, immediately the Freemasonic wrath turned on Great Britain and the British were driven out. And they wanted... Um, uh, the world to be um, monarchy free. Um, uh, and uh, as far as the American Revolution goes, um, you know, I grew up in Lexington, Massachusetts, which is where the shot heard around the world was fired. And I've gotten a very extensive blog post on that battle, which is a much different viewpoint on it. It is, in fact, the last chapter in 13 pieces of the jigsaw, but you'll also find it for free on my website, jamesperloff.net. Uh, the article called The Secrets Buried at Lexington and Green. Now, um, it was April, a Freemasonic. Uh, go ahead. Uh, April 19th, 1775. Correct. Uh, and, um, I want just two things real quick and uh, mm -hmm. to let you uh, take a quick break. The, the, the new Atlantis, the king in that, uh, or the ruler is named Solomon, right? Which is like Solomon, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. a, has its ties to Freemasonry. And mm -hmm. that came out in the 1500s. Predating that, just I didn't know if you knew this, but predating that, the Knights Templar had a a book of lessons and um, prayers, and it had a it had to do with a place called America, and that's uh, there's a dispute about the naming of America, whether it's Amerigo Vespucci or actually right. Templar. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard of that, but yeah, it was, it was America was a place of to the west. This is pre Columbus, by the way. Uh, that they would uh, talk about, uh, you know, a land to the west across the ocean. Um, just to throw that in there. Yeah. So, okay. Just, <laughs> yeah. I, I knew some of that, and but not all of it. Um, well, um, 
just to give you a taste of Freemasonry in the Battle of Lexington, um, our, our history books taught us that uh, Dr. Charles Warren in Boston sent Paul Revere and another writer named William Dawes, who history didn't didn't glamorize like Revere, uh, out to Lexington to meet with John Hancock and a house that was just a few hundred feet behind where the battle would take place the next day. And what history books don't tell you is that uh, Charles Warren was a grand master of the Freemasonic Lodge that met at the Green Dragon Tavern in Boston, and that Paul Revere, William Dawes, and John Hancock were all members of that lodge. So the entire circuit of Paul Revere's lodge consisted of members of the same um, branch of Freemasonry, uh, a fact that is not brought out. That's just one of uh, many, many facts that uh, underlie this story. Uh, but they were setting up America to be this uh, monarchy-free land, and they had to to, well, it's kind of like a, a dealer who deals a sucker the, the bottom card off a deck to let him start winning at first. America looked pretty good, but the other countries' revolutions, like the French Revolution, didn't turn out nearly so well uh, that followed. Now, another thing I'll just throw in here, um, I have this, um, not in book form, but on my website, uh, it's called The American Revolution Part Two. Even the Declaration of Independence was not written by Thomas Jefferson. You know, Thomas Jefferson made no claim to write the Declaration until 1821, which was 45 years after 1776, and he made it in a very vague and ambiguous way. Uh, the Declaration of Independence was actually written by Thomas Paine, and this is not something that I dreamed up. It was written about by authors going back to the 19th century. They compared Jefferson's writing style to that of Paine's. Paine was brought over here by... Um, uh, the leader of uh, Philadelphia's Freemasons, Benjamin Franklin, to write a co the book Common Sense and then to write the Declaration. And um, uh, the reason Thomas Paine could not be acknowledged as the author was that he wrote a book later called The Age of Reason, which was a vicious, a vicious attack on Christianity. I mean, it'll make your Christian's hair stand on end to read it. And um, they couldn't admit that a, such an atheist had, had, had written this book. Um, he wasn't even really an American. He came over here shortly before the Battle of Lexington. After the war, he went back to England, tried to have the people overthrow King George. Um, and then failing at that, he went to France and became a French citizen and took part in the French Revolution. So it, it was ironic that the Declaration of Independence really technically wasn't really written by an American. You could call him an American. He spent some time here, but he was basically a citizen of the world. And above all, he was an anti-monarchist. And I want to talk about why Satan hated monarchies. There were a couple of reasons. One was that monarchies, um, you know, there were, there were monarchies basically ruling the world, uh, whether the, the emperors of China, or the czars in, in Russia, the kaisers in Germany, the king of France, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, all the, all the countries of Europe were ruled by monarchs. Now, for one thing, these monarchs styled themselves as defenders of the Christian faith. They would say on the back of the, of the coins, have the monarch's picture on the front and the back would say defender of the faith on, on, for many countries. Uh, but there's another reason, too, which is the Rothschilds, who were sort of the uh, visible head of the snake uh, and, and the heads of the banking industry. They knew they couldn't intermarry into these monarchy family bloodlines and take over these countries. So they had to have them overthrown. And that's where... The revolutions came into being, whether it was the Mazzini Revolution in Italy or the Portuguese Revolution of 1910 or the French Revolution, of course, uh, um, in 1789. Uh, it was always uh, Freemasons as the foot soldiers and later the communists and, and as the foot soldiers in Russia. 
they always had their foot soldiers at the bottom of the pyramid, but at the top, uh, they wanted to get rid of these monarchs to create their new world order. They would put, if not communist states, democracies, but the democracies, they knew they could control through the power of finance. They could buy the newspapers, control who people voted for, and their man would always win the election. That's true of a Macron and or Angela Merkel or whoever you name today or Joe Biden. You know, um, it's not really the people's choice. It's what the people maybe think is their choice, but it, uh, uh, they knew that they could take over. So they had to get rid of the kings uh, who were defending Christianity and who were standing in, in Satan's way of taking over the world. Controversial statement. I'll just let it stand here. I'm not asking people to. Accept. I mean, if people think about it, I talk about this all the time in my show. The more democracy we've had, the less freedom we have, mm-hmm. uh, the mm-hmm. less liberty, the less uh, I think the, the less our values are carried for. That's now we can have the argument about checks and balances in the republic, but that's not mm-hmm. what they talk about. They, if you hear modern leaders, it's all about democracy. So the more democracy you have, uh, the less freedom. And it's uh, something for people to wrap their head around is really tough. But democracy is usually funded, actually always funded by the uh, the financial elite. You know, they, they decide who who the uh, next uh, meat puppet is going to be. Right. Uh, what would Wilson say about going into World War One? It said, we'll make the world safe for democracy. And that has been used as a catchphrase, that and liberty, to justify uh, right up through the Middle East wars, you know, uh, all about democracy and liberty. Um, well, I wanted to mention um, a very interesting book because uh, I wanted to get into a, a little bit of American history here. I'm going to start with 1898, but uh, a book that sheds a lot of light in this. I'm sorry, you can't read the title. It's um, it's uh, America's 60 Families by Ferdinand Lundberg, published in 1937. Now, he was an eminent finance journalist. He wrote for the Wall Street Journal and all the big finance newspapers. In, in this book, he demonstrated that America had been taken over by an oligarchy of uh, its richest 60 families. He, he you know, they didn't control all the mom and pop businesses, but they controlled all the major industries or had a controlling interest. And they um, uh, they were picking presidential candidates like Woodrow Wilson and uh, Herbert Hoover before the nominating conventions even took place. They worked in concert to do this. Uh, it's quite an amazing book to read, but not one that uh, is is known uh, to a lot of people. And I actually first became aware of this oligarchy in 1978. And, you know, it just it just changed my life forever uh, when I realized that uh, what these people were were, uh, were uh, driving at. Now, to pick it up a little bit on American history, let's walk through a little American history. 1898, the Spanish-American War, a significant war. Um, Spain had been in, uh, uh, Cuba had been uh, Spain's colony since 1511, and they considered it part of Spain, just like we would consider Hawaii part of America today. All right, so... But Spain was the world's richest colony and the biggest sugar producer, and the oligarchs wanted control of it. So all of a sudden, Americans were told, you know, the purpose of your military is not simply to defend America. The purpose of our military is to go fight other people's wars. We're going to go to other countries now and give them democracies. We're going to bring bring democracy to Cuba now. And um, uh, after that war, uh, the Rockefeller's National City Bank took over the Cuban sugar industry. It was very profitable. And um, part of the war, uh, there were, I, I, I actually, in my book, 13 Pieces of the Jigsaw, the first uh, chapters on the Spanish-American War, it vets it thoroughly. There's about eight reasons for that war. But I'll, I'll just mention a couple more. One was to destroy Spain 
as a world power, we seized all of Spain's colonies, the Philippines, Puerto Rico, Guam. Um, we didn't call them colonies. We called them possessions because semantics are very important. And Americans were, were told that colonies were, we, we, we were anti-colonial in America. But we took over all of Spain's colonies and um, uh, defeated it. And that was part of Satan's plan was to make uh, the European powers weak until they could be absorbed into the European Union, which was a stepping stone towards the um, towards the New World Order. Um, uh, I should uh, uh, move ahead now to 1907. Now, in uh, Ferdinand Lundberg's book, um, America's 60 Families, he gives an incredible description of the Panic of 1907. It was orchestrated by uh, John D. Rockefeller and... Um, uh, Morgan, J.P. Morgan, working in concert uh, to destroy banks while themselves make themselves rich. And uh, the panic that they created in 1907 set the stage for the Federal Reserve. As you know, in 1910, uh, uh, the representatives of the Rockefellers, the Morgans and the Rothschilds met on Jekyll Island. And of course, the great book on that is uh, Jedward Griffin's The Creature from uh, Jekyll Island. On November 22nd, by the way. November, uh, I, I forgot. Well, there was, uh, the, the meeting lasted a few days, but I'd forgotten November 22nd would fit in there. Oh, oh, oh maybe we were thinking about the signing of the, uh, no, the that's Federal actually, it's no, no, that was on Christmas Eve, actually. The, yeah. 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 The okay. Night. All right. Yeah. They actually oh, met okay. the first day of the meetings was November 22nd, 1910. Okay. Very Yeah. There, there are some significant dates. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll mention some, some, some later on, but the Federal Reserve, uh, of course, um, gave uh, the uh, the bankers an, uh, the ability to create money from nothing. And this is a system that they were actually duplicating all over the world, the central bankers, with the Bank of International Settlements as the central bank of central banks. And um, the same year the Federal Reserve was officially created, 1913, uh, you had the income tax created, which had previously been declared unconstitutional by the Supreme Court. <laughs> now, the man who introduced the um, amendment for the uh, income tax was the same man who introduced the original Federal Reserve Act that was Senator Nelson Aldrich, who was David Rockefeller's maternal grandfather. Um, t- talking about um, non-coincidences. Um, so now they had the, the, the Federal Reserve, they had uh, the income tax, which initially was only 1% of your income. Income tax started as 1% of your income up to $20,000, which very few people made in those days. Remember, it was before the days of inflation. That was like uh, more than half a million dollars back then. So uh, interesting enough, uh, six months after the Federal Reserve Act passed, Archduke Ferdinand was assassinated. World War I began. And now they had all this money to fight a war. Um, and so I, I should mention that just as the Maine was the false flag that brought us into the Spanish-American War, the Lusitania was the false flag that brought us into uh, World War One. It was a British ship with American passengers on board. It was loaded with munitions. I, I can't go into them all here, but the ship blew up from one torpedo. It blew up from one torpedo because of the munitions, which was illegal to put on a passenger ship. And I do have, a uh, again, a chapter on that in my book, um, 13 Pieces of the Jigsaw. But again, you can read it for free. It's called uh, False Flag at Sea on my website, jamespilliff.net. I want to mention the purposes of World War I, besides the looting and the profiteering, okay? Uh, It was globalism, communism, and Zionism. 
globalism, they created the uh, League of Nations, the first attempt at a world government. Communism, they created the Soviet Union, um, which was the first communist state. And Zionism, they uh, uh, forced the British government to pass the Balfour Declaration, which promised the Zionists a national homeland for the Jews in uh, Israel, even though Britain had no place in Israel, in Palestine prior to that. Um, and I should mention the same year that the Balfour Declaration came out, 1917 was the main edition of the Schofield Reference Bible, which persuaded so many Christians across the, the, the world that God wanted the Jews to return to Palestine. In reality, in case you're wondering where Zionism fits in with globalism and communism, communism, of course, uh, is totalitarianism. Globalism, the purpose is world government. You know, it's for Satan to govern the world, he needs a world government. So that's what we've been building um, ever since the League of Nations. In Zionism, Satan wants to rule the world from a throne in Jerusalem, as if to th thumb his nose at the very city where Jesus was crucified. Um, this is a spiritual war. It's a spiritual yes. war. Um, now, um, uh, the United States did not ratify the League of Nations. We didn't get into it. Hooray. So the bankers were angry. So, uh, and that was 1919. We rejected the League of Nations after World War One. So the bankers created the uh, Council on Foreign Relations. And that was my my first book. Um, uh, the Shadows of Power was on the Council. And um, uh, what that book uh, was about was why is it that we have such cosmetic changes when we go from Republican to Democrat, Democrat to Republican? It's because all the presidents were drawing their cabinet members from the Council on Foreign Relations, a small organization in New York City. In fact, what I wrote in the back of Truth of the Lonely Warrior, the book you said you gave away, was um, um, since its 1921 founding, what small organization has produced 21 secretaries of defense, 19 treasury secretaries, 18 secretaries of state, and 16 CIA directors. Of course, that was the council, all coming from this one organization whose goal, whose purpose was to create a world government. And of course, the, the Biden administration, more than half his cabinet is from, from the CFR. So those numbers that I just mentioned have gone up. Um, now, I wanted to move ahead to, um, uh, well, I wanted to mention uh, that along with controlling politicians, the bankers um, bought up the media. And in uh, Lundberg's 1937 book, he's got a, a, a chapter called Press of the Plutocracy. And he goes from coast to coast. He shows they owned virtually every major newspaper and newspaper chain. They didn't own Howard Scripps. <laughs> that was an exception. But uh, they bought up the, uh, the uh, media so they could control public opinion. Now let's take it, uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt, 1933. A lot of people thought he was a rubble against the bankers. Wrong. 1933, he did two big things that served the uh, satanic interest. Number one, he confiscated all Americans' gold. He canceled gold as a currency, and you were required to turn in your, your, your gold coins to the Federal Reserve Bank in return for a worthless slip of paper. Um you know, you could still buy gold coins now, of course. You sell them, I buy them, but you can't. Uh, it's not It's not common currency. Um, now, uh, supposedly this money went to Fort Knox. It probably did initially, but I've been told that Fort Knox is empty. 
No, there's been no audits of it. Nobody's looked inside of it for many decades. And I've talked to soldiers who actually are part of the military contingent that, that guard Fort Knox. And they have told me that it's generally understood by the soldiers. There is no gold there. I assume that the gold was given to the private interest. Um, I, I can't be 100% sure of that, but I, I think we have um, some strong I, evidence. I would agree with you on that, by yeah. James. Yeah. Um, the other thing that uh, FDR did in 1933 was he recognized the Soviet Union, there, thereby legitimizing communism as a form of government. Yes. Um, now, the next thing FDR did was that was truly satanic was um, World War II in Pearl Harbor. I think we did a show on Pearl Harbor. I, yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah. Okay. Three things to know about Pearl Harbor. Number one, it was Franklin D. Roosevelt who put the fleet in Pearl Harbor against all naval advice where uh, they could be attacked from every direction. The ships were boxed in like sardines and you couldn't supply it. Number two, we forced the Japanese to attack Pearl Harbor because we we were strangling them with a uh, economic embargo that was starving them uh, together with the British and the Dutch. Um, and we gave them an ultimatum in a late November, which triggered the final decision to go to war with us. Uh, they had, they, it was it was, a, it was basically a death ultimatum from the United States. Uh, but you can read about that again uh, in my book. I have a full chapter in um, 13 Pieces of the Jigsaw, or you can just read my article, uh, Pearl Harbor Roosevelt's 9-11, on my website. Um, uh, so uh, World War II, uh, oh, the other thing about Pearl Harbor is we completely had foreknowledge of the attack through our uh, decoding of Japanese intercepts there. We'd broken their code called purple and we knew about the attack, but we did not share that information with our military commanders in Hawaii. They were caught completely by surprise. All right. The purposes of World War II were the same as the purposes of World War One. Besides the looting that took place, it was globalism, communism, and Zionism. Globalism uh, established with the UN, which was hatched at the Council on Foreign Relations, who had 47 delegates at the founding conference of the uh, of the UN. Um, uh, communism now spread to Eastern Europe and throughout uh, much of Asia. And uh, finally, with Zionism, you had the establishment of Israel, uh, ultimately to become the throne of the Antichrist. Uh, I'll move ahead to the Korean War. Um, the Korean War was one of the most contrived wars ever. Um, you know, the communists didn't take over China until 1949, but the communists were already in power in North Korea in 1945. Why was that? It was an American foreign policy decision. We decided that the Russians, the Soviets, Stalin, should be, um, as co-victors of the World War II, should have um, um, co-ownership of Korea, which had been a protectorate of Japan during the war. And um, uh, Stalin, by the way, did not participate in the Pacific War until five days before it ended. We were the ones who fought Iwo Jima, Saipan, and all the other wars. We had already dropped the atom bomb on Hiroshima when Stalin came into the... <laughs> Pacific War, but as a reward, we gave him North Korea. And then he armed the North Koreans with T-34 tanks, MiGs, and we left South Korea completely undefended, which uh, when we departed in 1949, which led to the War of 1950. Harry Truman did not even consult the Congress when he sent troops to uh, Korea. More than 30,000 American troops died, more than 100,000 wounded. He did not even consult the Congress. 
he said he no longer needed a declaration of war because now he was now acting under the UN mandate for a police action. Right. Um, it was insane. They thought the globalists thought that this was going to validate the UN as a peacekeeper. You know, our, our, our troops had to fight under the UN flag. Um, they thought it would validate the UN. The rest of the world didn't go for it. Um, even though 15 countries did send out small contingents to fight the Korean War. Um, so eventually the Council of Relations and their Journal of Foreign Affairs started publishing articles said, well, we can't build a new world order from the top down for the UN. We're going to have to build it from the bottom up. And they have a number of articles uh, on that. Now, um, there's something interesting I wanted to note, just note here um, before I talk about the 60s in Vietnam. I've noticed that there are periods of peace when they're instituting a new method of mass communication. So in the 1930s, you got radios into all the homes and then World War One, World War II started. Then in the 50s, we had this lovely period of peace where they were putting TVs in all the homes. And then when they get, reached over 90% homes having um, TVs, they started the Vietnam War. And then the 90s, as terrible as the Clintons were, were basically at peace, but they were putting PCs and the internet into everybody's homes. And then the war on terror began. And maybe that's just a coincidence. It's just how I've noticed. It's just pattern I've noticed. I, I don't know for sure. It may be coincidental, but I'm... Probably not. I, I, I tend to be suspicious about a lot of these things. Okay, so in, in 1963 was when... I'm, I, I consider 53 to 63 America's golden decade. I and mean, we had no wars. Um, we were prosperous and we we're morally unified, basically. And not saying there weren't any bad things that happened. But it was basically a very good decade. But then in 1963, the summer of 63, the Supreme Court banned Bible reading from schools. They'd already banned school prayer. Um, in the meantime, according to Father Malachi Martin, if this is true, Satan was enthroned in the Vatican. And uh, there also were satanic ceremonies in America that that summer. And then suddenly that fall of 63, of course, you had Kennedy assassinated. Diem, who was also a Catholic, was assassinated. By the way, I'm not Catholic. I've never have been, but just noticing this. Um, then in 64, you had the Beatles arrived with great media fanfare, cover of Newsweek, cover of Look Magazine, Ed Sullivan Show, coupled with the Tonkin Gulf incident. And um, interestingly enough, the commander of the naval forces in um, uh, the Tonkin Gulf was uh, Edmund Morrison, the father of Jim Morrison of the Doors. Another one of those little coincidences. Okay, so in the 60s, the, 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 the Beatles at the center of this cultural revolution, coupled with the revolt against the Vietnam War, and drugs and free sex. Suddenly, it just took six years from 63 to 69. We we're transformed from a leave it to beaver culture to a Woodstock culture. That's how I, I kind of put it. And all the things we see since then, feminism, abortion, gay marriage, transgenderism, all kind of trace back to that 60s um, movement against our traditional values. Okay. Uh, I think for time's sake, I'm going to skip over Watergate. Um, but let's move ahead to 70, 1979, a very um, significant year. 1979, um, we recognized China. And that was the beginning of changing China from a backwards communist society to a technocratic communist society. 79 was the beginning of the downfall of the Soviet Union because they're about to end the Cold War and move to a war on Islam. It took a few years, but um, 79 was also the year that 
was a big new Brzezinski with Jimmy Carter, um, brought his fellow trilateral commission member in as national security advisor, and Brzezinski began funding the Mujahideen in Afghanistan, and we all know what that eventually led to, um, and that included Osama bin Laden, of course. And then all of a sudden, um, other things happened in 79. The Shah fell in Iran, and the first Islamic theocracy was created. Also in 79, Somoza fell in, in Nicaragua. And without those two things happening in Iran, in Nicaragua, there never would have been an Iran-Contra affair. Right. But the thing that I consider most significant about 1979, the Likud had come to power in Israel after decades of the Labor Party, more liberal ruling. And in 1979, Benjamin Netanyahu and his father hosted a conference on terrorism, which George Bush attended. And I believe this is the beginning of a huge shift. Also in 1979, the winner of the Best Picture Oscar went to The Deer Hunter. Good movie, by the way, good movie. But it was amazing to me at that time. I was stunned at the time because in the 60s, uh, when the anti-war movement was on, you couldn't make a, a, a war a, a portraying Vietnam, American soldiers in Vietnam positively. But all of a sudden, they, they got the Oscar. It was a time for a makeover. And so, in, and then the 80s, um, 70s and 80s, you had all these movies where America was fighting the Muslims. You know, you had the, the Black Sunday where the Palestinians of all people are going to blow up the Super Bowl and they're saved by a Mossad agent. And uh, you had um, Ch- um, uh, Ch- uh, Chuck Norris in um, uh, what was Delta it? Force. Um, uh, Delta Force. Yeah. Uh, rescuing Americans in Lebanon and they, they, they save them and take them to Israel, our, our ally. And then 1985, of course, at Back to the Future, we have these crazed Libyan uh, fanatics. Um, 1985 is also the year that Gorbachev comes to power, signaling the start of the end of the Cold War. And lo and behold, in 86, we bomb Libya, the first blow of the, of the war against Islam, or, or the war on terror, if you will. Um, and that was based upon a false flag. Uh, and that is all described in uh, this book. Sorry, it's kind of torn up. The other, other side of deception by uh, Viktor Ostrovsky, former Mossad agent, he revealed that actually uh, the whole Americans were, America was just deceived. The Mossad had planted a transmitter in Tripoli, which sent congratulations to the uh, alleged perpetrators of the bombing, which took place at the Bell discotheque in Germany, resulting in Reagan bombing Libya. It was all fake. It was all Israeli um, engineered. Uh, Then in 1991, uh, communism officially disappeared in Russia. Very interesting. We're talking about dates before. That's exactly the 1,000th year of um, anniversary of Russia converting to Christianity. It became Christian nation in the year 991. But also in 1991, we fought our first land war against Islam, uh, against Saddam Hussein, the Gulf War. And... Um, uh, uh, people like Paul Wolfowitz and the other neocons were very angry because Bush didn't finish that war. It's said that that's the real reason that he uh, didn't get reelected in 92 rather than breaking his promise about no new taxes. I, I want to say, too, I think 1979 is the year that Saddam Hussein oh. came to power in Iraq. Hmm. And I, I've looked at oh. the year. It's interesting that you bring that up because I was born the day the Soviets invaded Afghanistan in 1979. So I've often oh. looked back at that year. I, I forgot about the recognition of China, but I've yeah. also looked at other events like, uh, of course, the, the invasion of Afghanistan by the Soviets, but uh, the Georgia Guidestones, 
were also uh, initiated in 1979 there at the tail yeah, end. You know, I, I, I forgot that. I, uh, well, you're, you're expanding my list. Thank you. You expanded um, my list. <laughs> uh, uh, well, anyway. Um, okay. So we go through this period of internet, the Clintons. And then of course, nine 11 comes along. Oh, I should mention something. Um, with time. I think we have time. Okay. Terrorism always needs a poster boy. So in the 1980s, the poster boy for terrorism was Abu Nidal. And in an amazing book to read, I was writing a book on 9-11 before COVID hit on 9-11. This book by Patrick Seal of Great Britain. He revealed that Abu Nidal, the world's greatest terrorist, was actually working for Mossad. This is confirmed by representatives of many security agencies. Even the PLO told them, yeah, and Nadal is, you know, he would attack uh, Austria, uh, Italy, Greece. Um, the Palestinians would get the blame, but he would never attack Israel. Um, in fact, the, the guys, who, and we, we never took him out. It wasn't until after 9-11, the Iraqis are actually the ones who took out Abu Nadal. But because he murdered almost a third of his own Palestinian followers, he lost all credibility and nobody wanted to work for him anymore. They had to come up with a new face for terrorism. That was Osama bin Laden. And I just want to say this. Osama bin Laden declared war on the United States in the mid-1990s. It didn't make any sense. We had supported uh, Osama bin Laden against the Russians. Uh, his big claim to anger over America was the fact that we sent troops to fight the Gulf War in '91. But actually, that was at the invitation of his own government, the Saudi government. We left mostly after the war was over. Um, it wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, he would have a claim now to anger about the United States after all the Middle East wars were fought since 9-11. But at the time, there just wasn't a good reason for it. Um, it, it was incredible. Uh, but in any event, if we look at 9-11, uh, we see all kinds of anomalies, uh, you know, you know, so many of them, but the fact that uh, the second plane, the one we've all seen, hit Tower 2 at 586 miles an hour. And yet, after 9-11, Boeing pilots on on um, uh, uh, simulators tried to hit the Twin Towers. They couldn't do it. They missed it. And these guys had thousands of hours of flying experience, whereas the terrorists, they had no experience flying Boeing's, not even on a simulator, according to neither El Shahi, you hit the second tower or, or, or Muhammad had any simulator experience. Yet they made, managed to make perfect hits. The buildings fell anomalously. Building seven collapsed, even though it wasn't hit by a plane. And what really angers me is this. Dick Cheney had 30 minutes advance on flight 77, which is alleged to have hit the Pentagon and 45 minutes advance warning on flight 93. He knew they were hijacked. This has been confirmed in the 9-11 commission interviews. Yet Dick Cheney did not lift a single fighter plane to stop the attacks. Andrews Air Force Base, 10 miles from the Pentagon, all the fighters stayed on the ground. It wasn't until after the Pentagon blew up that Dick Cheney finally okayed sending up fighter planes. Absurd. He already knew that the World Trade Center had been attacked, but obviously there was no there was no intention to get bin Laden. We didn't catch him. The The idea was to uh, carry out those wars that uh, General Wesley Clark uh, so frankly um, uh, mentioned to Amy Goodman in that famous interview where he said that the Pentagon now had a plan right after 9-11 to take out seven countries starting with Iraq. And of course, we had the Iraq war over the fake weapons of mass destruction. And, you know, we, we took out Libya, we've attacked Syria, we've 
the supply the bombs so Yemen and all this all these wars in the Middle East uh, taking place one after the other um, now uh, of course in the meantime we also had a lot of uh, false flag shootings to try and disarm the American people but we kind of up what kind of brought us up to um, uh, COVID at this point I wonder if you want to play that clip that I sent you, or I could do it myself. It's the one about uh, Build Back Better, just to show you how all the world leaders are uh, acting in total conformity. Let me pull uh, it up, James. Yeah, this is really uh, something to watch. How do we build back better? To build back better or whatever. We have a chance to reset the clock and build back better than before. To build back better than before. Remember the, the terrible damage of COVID as we try to build back from this a global pandemic. Joe Biden calls it build back better. Build back better. Building back better. To do things differently. To build back better. We're going to build it back better. And build it back better. In my plan to build back better. Uh, start taking all the problems that have been created in right. education and mental health <laughs> and start to, to build back in a positive way. I have launched a booklet called Build Back Better, written after coronavirus. It's about building this country back better. Growing conspiracy following it. It is called The Great Reset. Unprecedented opportunity to rethink and reset the ways in which we live. The great opportunity for reset. The theory even calls Mr. Biden's campaign slogan, Build Back Better, a front for the conspiracy. Build back better. Building back better our economy. Build back better. All elements of the great reset are fundamental to building the future we need. This pandemic has provided an opportunity for a reset. A big effort to, some would say, to build a better, we would say, to really have a reset, right? He said, Conspiracy, conspiracy, conspiracy. <laughs> right on target. Well, um, I, uh, I just wanted to mention that, um, we now have an understanding of why this there's this uniformity, um. This is an article. It's called "Exposed Klaus Schwab School for COVID Dictators Plan for the Great Reset," and it reveals that uh, Klaus Schwab established in 1992 a school called the Young Global Leaders School, and the people you just saw most of them have attended that. Uh, uh, Jacinda Aldern of New Zealand, Justin Trudeau of Canada, uh, Emmanuel Macron. I don't think he was in there, but he's been to that school. He attended courses at that school. Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, Angela Merkel of Germany, Tony Blair of Britain, they've all been through that school, uh, Chelsea Clinton. So um, they've all been indoctrinated on how to respond to the COVID pandemic. And this is very actually uh, parallel to my book, The Shadows of Power, which showed that all the cabinet leaders uh, or mo most of the key cabinet leaders uh, for the last few decades in the American government had gone through the Council on Foreign Relations first. Uh, and so they were indoctrinated in how they should act. And that's why we had this very cosmetic changes between Republicans and Democrats. But um, the what else did I want to say here? Um, something um, 
important to mention is what it says in uh, the book of Revelation. Uh, this is uh, from chapter 13. Speaking of the Antichrist, he caused all, both great and small, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. And no man might buy or sell, save that he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now, uh, as soon as they started this thing, uh, at the start of the lockdown where you couldn't buy or sell, you couldn't go into a grocery store or go to your job without a mask. We'd see where this was heading. They were headed to the, the vaccine and that was going to lead to the vaccine passport. In fact, in my, uh, book, I probably, uh, have it buried at this point. Um, but my book on, uh, on COVID, um, the first chapter of, uh, uh, first, oh, well, here it is. Uh, this is my, my book on COVID, which I, I published in August of 2020. So a year and a half ago now, but, um, in, uh, uh, first sentence of chapter 23, I said, in the future, in order to travel, shop and work, you will probably require proof of vaccination. Well, that's not coming to pass with the health pass or the, the vaccine passport. And now we have, we also have, um, the fact that this is going to become a digital, uh, ID on your body. Um, I see we still have about 10 minutes. I think we're okay. Um, there are two things on this. One uh, is, by the way, James, I'm going to let you go over. We've got, uh, other platforms too. I'm just going to, if you want to finish your presentation, oh, don't feel oh, too rushed. I'm gonna let I, it I think go. we, I think we can do it in 10 minutes. Uh, this is in my book, actually. Um, listen, this is from rice school of bioengineering. Uh, so this is not a conspiracy theory. This is right off their own website. It says, quote, Kevin McHugh, an assistant professor of bioengineering at Rice and a team from MIT report on the development of quantum dot tag tags that fluoresce with information after they're injected as part of a vaccination. The tags are incorporated in an array of sugar-based microneedles on a patch. Bill Gates, by the way, has been is interviewed as saying, we'll put a patch, we'll put a patch on people to show their vaccination record. Okay. So now I continue with the quote from Rice School of Bioengineering. When the needles dissolve in about two minutes, they deliver the vaccine and leave the pattern of tags just under the skin where they become something like a barcode tattoo. Uh, instead of ink, this highly specific medical record consists of qu copper-based quantum dots embedded in biocompatible micro-scale capsules. Their near-infrared dye is invisible, but the pattern they set can be read and interpreted by a customized smartphone. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation came to us and said, hey, we have a real problem knowing who's vaccinated, said McHugh. End quote, Rice School of Bioengineering. Now, on top of that, this just came out in the past month. Uh, and this is mainstream media news. A Swedish company has created a microchip that allows users to carry their vaccine COVID passport under their skin. Uh, and uh, this has been developed by a company called uh, Disruptive Subdermals. And the, um, the managing director gave a demonstration for the press showing how you could scan the chip, which is under his skin, uh, uh, quote, to bring up a PDF that showed all the details of his EU digital COVID certificate. Now, remember the Bible Revelation says you can't buy or sell without a mark on you. Now, of course, the Apostle John didn't speak of microchips. He wouldn't have known what those were. But if you think about it, if you've got a, a digital tattoo or a microchip, and you can't go into a grocery store or a restaurant. Right now, I'm in Massachusetts. You can't go into a, a restaurant in Boston without a vaccine passport. 
Uh, you can't go into a museum. You can't go to the TD Bank to watch the Bruins or the Celtics play unless you've got your vaccine passport. Once they make this digital under your skin, if you can't buy or sell, you can't go to your job without this microchip or, or digital tattoo, that is so close to the mark of the beast. You can't, you can't get much closer than that. You really can't. I mean, that is so in your face. Now, um, so that, that, that's where we're at. Now, uh, intelligent theologians are not calling this the mark of the beast yet. It's obvious that the beast has not revealed himself yet. He's not, he's not, you know, he's not out there yet. We're not worshiping the beast, but it just like world government move from the league of nations to the UN, to the EU, right? It's incremental. They're incrementally introducing the mark of the beast. Uh, same as for your own good. And that's kind of where, uh, we come up to, I did want to mention something about this, this, you know, this whole thing of 2030 with Klaus Schwab's world economic forum, you know, the guy who created the school for global leaders, you know, he's got this, this, uh, UN has got this agenda 2030 and Klaus Schwab, um, He's got this thing, welcome to 2030, I own nothing, have no privacy, and life has never been better. Um, you'll own nothing and be happy. This is how our lives could be by 2030. You'll own nothing and be happy. I'm sure many of your viewers have already seen these. Um, but the interesting thing about 2030 is, if you go back, according to the Orthodox Church, the traditional date for Jesus' crucifixion was 33 AD. Now, it's, uh, it's also said that the reason the Freemasons have their highest degree, uh, the 33rd degree, is because they're celebrating that. They, we killed Jesus in 33 AD. It's also that Jesus' ministry lasted for about three and a half years. That means his ministry would have begun about 30 AD. Um, so it almost looks as if Satan was bound for a thousand years. Then he was given a thousand years to mess with the nations and get rid of the monarchies. And then he's going to be given, you know, the book of Revelation talks about times, times, times and a half, 1,260 days. It looks like God may grant Satan three and a half years so that Satan can't complain he had less time than Jesus to rule over the earth. I, I have a feeling that 2030 uh, may be the year that the beast will reveal himself. And if he rules for three and a half years, then perhaps 2033, would be the year that Jesus returns, and which means that we should be spiritually prepared for that. But of course, I, I'm very aware that the scriptures say that no no man knows the date um, that uh, the return of Christ will occur, the second coming. So I want to be very careful about that. I, I'm certainly not insisting on anything, but I just find these coincidences to be compelling. Oh, absolutely. And the elites all in that same time frame, you know, the, the 2030 agenda, the agenda for the 21st century. You know, World Economic Forum, the United Nations, uh, Davos, uh, the the mm -hmm. the elite, the uh, uh, financial class, all linking up to that date and going against all of what humanity is. I mean, most of humanity is decentralizing, and uh, you know, we could have a debate on that uh, whether that's good or not. But most most of humanity is decentralizing, not so. trying to consolidate. But yeah. the elites are pushing us to consolidation. That's been the that's been the battle for uh, for centuries now, and even mm -hmm. accelerating. I want to ask you before we close, do you think that the Antichrist it could be an AI? That's my opinion. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, uh, one thing that uh, kind of stunned me recently was I learned that uh, uh, what is the uh, uh, company um, Blackwater that owns um, so much um, control over the stock market? 
that uh, all their stock trading is done by an AI robot. Right. And Black he, that, yeah. BlackRock, excuse me. BlackRock, um, uh, they've got an AI robot that controls trillions of dollars of assets. And he also uh, makes billions of dollars to trade each, each day. So these flip-flops in the stock market, you don't know how much is that is just being done by AI as, as opposed to real people. It wouldn't surprise me because, you know, Jesus, as God, knew everything about everybody. The Antichrist could try to duplicate that through AI, through the collection of information through the Internet. They would know about everybody and appear to be God because they know all about you. You know, this must be God because he he has all this information about us. Right. He, I mean, he must be God. I, I really think that we're looking at a uh, deceptive imitation of Christ. That's what the Antichrist would be uh, in order to convince people that he is the Christ or the savior. He might go under he might be called himself Buddha to the Buddhist and, you know, um, use other names for other religions. But uh, he wants to convince us that he's all knowing in AI. You know, the, te uh, the technology they have where they have chess games that can beat people. And as I said, they've got AI making buys and sells on the, on the stock market. Now, uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if the beast, I even heard a theologian say this, that the beast will be a computer. And I, I could easily believe that because a computer would be more intelligent. I still believe that, of course, in Satan as a real being, as a spiritual being, but I wouldn't be surprised if he exploits AI as a uh, technology to convince the world that he really is God and that he should be worshipped. Yeah, it seems to me like the most antichrist thing that could ever be would be a cold, unfeeling AI, mm -hmm. you know, just, yeah. just calculating and had nothing else, just numbers, just zeros mm -hmm. and ones. Well, right. uh, James, we got about 40 seconds and tell people where they can find your work, sir. Sure. Well, on Twitter is James Perloff and um, I'm uh, my website is jamesperloff.net. And you'll find plenty of free articles there. Uh, you can, um, uh, there's information on how to buy, buy my book on COVID, but you can also download, uh, there's four different digital versions, including a Spanish version, uh, which you can uh, download for free when you go to the website. Um, so it's jamesperloff.net and Twitter. Uh, those are the main, main places to find me. Well, your books have changed my life. This show I've just been uh, studying here at the feet of the master. I so appreciate you coming on, James. We want to have a, have you back soon. Maybe we'll do a longer form podcast. So much information. I, sh I truly appreciate you, sir. Well, yes, yes. It was a lot to cover in one hour, but uh, yeah, we did it. So, uh, so uh, th thank you very much, um, Tony, for uh, providing this format. Well, thank you for coming on, James. Uh, hopefully okay. it won't be too long before you're back again. We'll see okay. you tomorrow, folks. Uh, this has been the Heart of Burn Radio Transmission. A wisewolf.gold, arterburn.news, end of transmission. Life is a continuous confrontation with forks in the road. One is good, one is bad. And you could always wander completely off the road altogether and become lost. Totally and completely lost. If you take the wrong fork, at one of these junctions, there is always the opportunity at the next port to get back on track. But it is a constant battle within ourselves. You see, I have studied this concept for many, many years, and I have to tell you that if there is a real devil, like Flip Wilson used to say, the devil made me do it, 
I'm not telling you that there's no such thing as Satan or Lucifer. I'm telling you this. If there really is a devil, that devil exists in the hearts and minds of men and nowhere else. Nowhere else. For if you take man out of the equation, evil ceases to exist. And there is left only the laws of the universe and the balance of nature. Put man in the equation and before long evil will rear its ugly head and present itself to the world. The evil is within man and that is why it was called the fall. The devil never made anyone do it. If you do it, you did it yourself because you fell into temptation. For until man once again confronts the real nature of his own condition and of the world around him and accepts full responsibility for his actions without blaming anyone else or any devil, until then we will always be a puppet on the end of someone else's string. And ladies and gentlemen, when that someone pulls that string, we will dance.